The psalm we just heard, Psalm 34, is poetry and doesn't really jump out at us in English. It's because it doesn't have uh, what we're used to. It, there is no rhyming. In Hebrew, they don't rhyme. It would be too easy to rhyme in Hebrew. There are only three vowels, and so it would rather be uh, too elementary for the Hebrews to do that. And so they had other ways of making poetic verse. And in this particular case, they did it by, and the writers did it, or writer did it, David did it by an acrostic. Each verse starts with the succeeding letter of the alphabet, and so there are 22 letters in the alphabet, and in this case, in this psalm, there are 21 letters because they skipped the and, which is just too easy for the poets to do. It's like in Psalm 119, which is the longest acrostic in the Old Testament, and it starts, sort of each little sub-chapter, I guess you could call it, starts with the succeeding letter of the alphabet in Hebrew, and it's kind of a soup to nuts. It's everything from the beginning to the end, all you need to know, wrapped up in one chapter, one psalm. It's, it's what you need to know about God. That's kind of the poetic way that they're speaking. Tonight, in Psalm 34, we're just going to look at one verse. That's it. And to keep in harmony with an alphabet, just to rearrange a little bit, and starting with the letter A, verse 1. At all times I will extol the Lord. His praise will always be on my lips. At all times, and in good times and in bad times, I will extol the Lord. In excellent times and in crummy times. At all times. You know, it's easy to worship God in good times, sometimes, and when you can say, uh, for instance, like with Scripture, that the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places, it's easy to praise the Lord when the rose of your life is blooming or your joints are good or the mail carrier knows you because you have so many packages coming to the door and so many certified letters that are full of checks. What about the bad times? You know, they're never far away. No matter how good your time is, a bad time is never far. It can be just one microbe away, one jaunt to the treadmill away, one cancer cell that is determined to stop and change everything. But the psalmist says, no matter what times come, good or bad, King David says, at all times I will praise the Lord. His praise will always be on my lips. In times that are excellent and times that are excruciating. How do you do with the Lord in bad times? What are you supposed to do in bad times? What do you do when uh, things go wrong and what's the plan? What does God want you to do when you're stuck in the rough or your ball is in the sand or the life, your life is stuck in the rough. When you're in the patch of weeds and there's no flower to be seen. The Apostle Paul says that the will of God for your life in bad times and in good times is the same. It matters not whether you're in good times or bad times, the will of God for your life. He says this in 1 Thessalonians, Be joyful always. 
Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. And here it is. What's God's will for your life? For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So God's will for you when the chips are down is the same as when life is good. Be joyful in every circumstance you find yourself in. Pray continually. Give thanks in every circumstance. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So praise God when things are going masterfully well for you and we are told to praise Him when things are going woefully bad. At West Point, in their boot camp, they have a, uh, they call it Beast, and it is brutal. And as some of you know, my, our daughter went through it. And they have a saying that's meant to help them get through, which my wife, it's the strongest language I've ever heard her use, but it goes like this, embrace the suck. And that's what helps the West Point cadets get through. They just embrace it. And there's truth in that, and there's truth in it in Scripture as well. We know that they are training for war, and so we think for us, war is in a faraway place, another galaxy. We don't live in a troubled part of the world. But Scripture tells us, actually, that we are not far from real struggle, that the enemy is not far away. It is right here. He is right here. Ephesians tells us our struggle is not against flesh and blood, is what we think, but it's against rulers, against authorities, against the powers in this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Last week, quite by accident, I found myself in the regional jail, and they brought the wrong prisoner out to meet me. And uh, he started telling me about why he was in. He was in for a violent crime, and things like that, and I asked him how old he was, and he said he was 19, and then I, I asked him when he's going to get out. He said, oh, I'm going to be in here for a while. I'm in for 12 years. And uh, I said, well, wow, I'm really sorry. Uh, that's a long time. You're going to spend your whole 20s in jail. He says, oh, it's all good. And I thought, you know, there's a lot of theology and it's all good. That's quite biblical. There's not one bad circumstance that God cannot use for His purposes. Even times that completely suck. It's like God is the chef and He can come into the refrigerator or, or the uh, pantry of your life and whatever ingredient is in there, He can turn it into a masterful meal. That He can turn you into the man or woman that He has designed you to be. And knowing this can give us peace at all times in all circumstances every single day of our lives. So whatever anxiety that you face, uh, you should just know that up in heaven, God is not feeling the same emotions. He is not moments from hitting the panic button. In fact, there is no panic button in heaven as far as we know. There's just maybe one that, bang, it, it's deliverance. That's it. That's his only button. Well, kings... In the world today, like you and me, like King David, can have really rough times. And David had a rough one, and this is what he writes about in our psalm. Psalm 34, verse 0, which is inspired, of David when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he 
left. It was the most stressful situation David could find himself in. He was in an enemy camp. He is a a sworn enemy of these people. And he could just as well lose his head onto the ground. And he escapes, though, and he gives God the credit. He acts like a crazy man. He starts drooling and saying stupid things and doing things that are very weird. David attributes that not to his own ingenuity, but to God, because God made it work, just like he could hide behind a rock. It wasn't the rock, but God made it work. And so he probably learned how to be crazy by watching Saul, the very guy that was about to kill him when he had an evil spirit come over him. But he gives the credit to God. It wasn't a parting of the Red Sea that made it happen for him. It was just acting like a nut. And that worked for him. And so David says, I will extol the Lord at all times, even when I'm about ready to die, even when my neck is to be cut off. His praise will always be on my lips. David knew lots of hard times. For David, if it wasn't one thing, it was another. And there's a lot of theology in that too, because as we heard in the Gospel reading, troubles will come to everyone. Let me remind you of a few of the troubles that David had. Maybe you've had a similar trouble, but this is what he had. How about this one on your wedding night? Right before you're ready to consummate the marriage. Right before you're to enjoy your bride for the first time. Right then, someone tries to kill you and your wife is taken from you and you never get to enjoy your wedding night. That's not how it was supposed to go. That's what happened to David. Then he had great success as a general in Saul's army. He had so much success that Saul said, this guy is dangerous. He's more popular than I am. People are going to kill me and they're going to want David as the king. So he became public enemy number one and Saul tries to kill him. He invites him to a dinner party and then he has a little to drink and then the next thing you know, Saul's trying to kill him with a spear. David eludes the spear and gets out. Saul misses and then he says, well, Hey, you guys, you go kill him. My son, you go kill him. My army, you go kill him. And so David goes from being the number one general to the number one on the wanted list, hunted by his own military. Only back to that wedding night, and David was supposed to enjoy his new bride named Michael, who was Saul's daughter. The more Saul thought about it, the more he thought about himself as a future father-in-law. He said, "I, I can't have that guy be married to my daughter and so he arranged to have guys break in the room but David knows what's happening he escapes through a window they think they're going to kill him they try and kill him but no it's just pillows under a blanket that was David's wedding night later Saul makes sure that David doesn't get Michael he gives her to another man just to be sure does that sound like a fun life uh, a wedding night from hell, a military career from the same place. That doesn't really sound like God has a wonderful plan for your life, does it? Or or the pop seller, your best life now. God's best life can look like really hard times. For David, uh, his best life now was living in a cave for a long time, hiding to stay alive. And that's what verse 19 is. We're in Psalm 34, which starts with a, a W. And David could say, woeful times. A righteous man may have many of them, but the Lord delivers him from them all. And so, in times of woe, David sings, but not the blues. He sings praises to God, even in the worst of circumstances. 
Where other guys would probably turn from God, David turns his face directly to him and sings praises to him, even in hard times. And so he says in verse 14, don't turn away from God. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace, pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their cry. So God hears our prayers. It's just like our prayers go straight into the throne room. That's what Isaiah said, and God pushes the deliverance button. The Apostle Peter knew all about David, Psalm 34. He quotes it in chapter 3 of his book. So here Pete quotes Davy, basically. Whoever would love life and see many good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. What do good days look like, anyway, from the Bible's perspective? What do you think that, how can you picture them, like a, a sunscreen or sun, what do you call it, suntan lotion commercial, you know, on a beach or windsurfing, maybe. But in the book of Acts, the good days there include Paul and Silas in jail. They're in jail, like that young man I met, but it's all good. They bring the gospel to this city called Philippi, and, and for that fine work, they're rewarded with being hauled before a court. Imagine preaching the gospel, they get hauled into jail, and they're stripped naked, and then they're beaten, and then they're tortured, and then they're thrown into maximum security block. Their feet are locked into stocks, and even so, it was, it was all good. These were good times for them, and they started singing about the goodness of God in jail. It says about midnight, the Bible tells us, Paul and Silas are praying and singing hymns to God. Maybe they're singing Psalm 34. They're singing in prison. They're singing while sitting in their own blood, they're singing. And maybe one of them says to the other, maybe Silas says to Paul, he says, you know, Paulie, it's not one thing, it's another. Can you believe this? I mean, it doesn't get any better than this, does it? If you couldn't make this stuff up. We're preaching and now we're in, in jail and we're about to be killed. You know, maybe Paul would say at that point, yeah, if it's not one thing, it's another. But it's all good. From his perspective, too, it's, it's all good. Maybe he says at that point, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says, that's a good one. I'm going to use it. Maybe. Can't you tell that the Lord's in all of this, Silas? And it's just like David saying, maybe Paul said, from prison... The prison of his soul, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. That's verse 18 of our psalm. It doesn't get any better because even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. It really doesn't get any better than this. doesn't matter if you're in jail or out of jail, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, if you know who Jesus is and you know who you are in Jesus, it doesn't get any better. It's all good. And so as in Acts 5.41, the apostles leave rejoicing because they've been counted worthy of suffering disgrace with the name. And so our verse, at all times I will extol the Lord. His praise will always be on my lips. And so just two lessons for this evening. A lot of good theology in both. The first lesson is this. If it's not one thing, it's another. Jesus said we would have many troubles, but not to worry. He's overcome the world. But in Jesus, the second lesson is, it's all good.
It's all good. He uses all of it to shape us. And that's something to celebrate. Amen? Father God, King of the universe, we come to you this evening with joyful hearts. Father, we praise you for who you are. There is no one like you. Father, we thank you for the beauty of this day. We thank you for the beauty of your creation. We thank you that all creation is screaming out that you are who you say you are. Father, we thank you that you are outside of time and space. And yet, you entered time and space through your Son, Jesus Christ, to point us to to you. Father, we have so much to be thankful for. As we come to you this evening, Father, though we are few in number, help us to be joyful for the fact that we know you, to be joyful for the fact that our names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life, to be joyful for the fact that to love you is better than life. And so, Father, you have made it simple, no matter what comes our way, that we are to love you with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength, and to love each other as ourselves. So, Father, though only you know the end from the beginning, help us to truly take Jesus at his word, that each day has enough trouble of its own, that we are to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, and all these other things will be given to us. And Lord, we thank you that you know the end from the beginning and that our lives are not a cookie-cutter franchise formula. We are not to compare ourselves with other people. We can only compare ourselves to Jesus Christ. And we thank you that he has paid the price, the one who was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, the one whom everyone left in his hour of trial. Thank you that he was put through the fire, that he went and took our hell for us. So, Father, as we come to your table tonight, we thank you that he has paid the ultimate price. And, Father, I pray that whatever comes our way, that we would be willing to lay our lives down for your name. Help us to be true to the end, to stand firm, to let nothing move us, to always give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord, for we know that our labor in the Lord is not in vain. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, amen.